The only downside uh, was because of all the twists and turns and the complete lack of mile markers. <laughs> I realized I was at the end of the race about a quarter mile before I was at the end of the race. Wow. And I had gas left in the tank. Like, I could have been going faster the last mile and a half, two miles. Right. But I didn't know I was on the last mile and a half. But then, also, you could have potentially tried to kick it into another gear and then <laughs> fallen off the side of a mountain into an open volcano filled with sharks. But we're not talking about last year. <laughs> Bygones be done. Oh, hello, alleged human, and welcome to the Chaos Lever Podcast. My name is Ned, and I'm definitely not a robot. I am a real human person, and anyway, why wouldn't I dream of electric sheep? Lower food costs, there's no cleanup, it just makes sense. With me is Chris, who is also here. I can't Let's it. talk about some tech garbage. <laughs> yes. Second week, nailed it, baby! All right. All right. Uh, what's going on, Chris? How are you? I can't believe that I'm missing DockerCon for this. I can't believe that you're missing DockerCon. I can't believe that I knew that DockerCon was a thing. <laughs> I can't believe it is still a thing. If we say DockerCon oh. five more times, it's just going to completely lose all, it's like all meaning in my head. Just keep saying orange. You know what happens. Yeah, I, I understand that Docker is still very much a thing. Especially according to Docker. Even though it's been purged out of all aspects of Kubernetes at this point, like it doesn't use the runtime, it doesn't use the, uh, I guess the container scheduling format, or whatever the various things that were Docker at some point, none of those are in Kubernetes anymore. Right. I mean, if you if you install the latest runtime, it's in Kubernetes. It's called not Docker.exe. So Which, I mean, it's very hurtful. Yeah, and but specific and clear. <laughs> Obviously. So I guess I guess the good thing is they're going back to their roots of being basically a desktop tool. Right, which is fine. That's needed. That's, That's useful. I still use Docker Desktop, so, I mean, obviously there's utility in it. I'm not going to pay for it because, you know, I'm an cheap. individual and cheap. But I can understand if you're a large business heavily using Docker Desktop, you're also not going to pay for it. <laughs> so good luck, Docker. <laughs> because cheap. Yeah, exactly. Oh, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Today's primary topic, as promised two weeks ago and then not delivered last week. Well done. You know, I aim to disappoint. Uh, I am going to go over the financial earnings reports of the big three cloud providers. Woo! And as a bonus, we can also take a peek at what's going on with Oracle and IBM. Boo! And maybe even some of the traditional vendors like HPE and Dell. But you know what? Turned out I didn't have time. Oh, no. I know. I, everyone is disappointed and sad. But I do have a little a little bit of background information to share about those vendors and where they're at. So we'll get to that if we get to it. Sure. Okay. Now, I could just read you the top line numbers for each company in a monotonous tone that would lull you into a false sense of security so Chris can bring his marauding gang to your house and steal all of your collectible hockey cards. It's really I, just Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> I could do that, but I won't. In part because it's very dull for me, and this is about me. And anyway, your ASMR channel is paywalled. That's right, as it should be. <laughs> and also because Chris already has too many hockey cards, and we shouldn't feed into his addiction. I mean, hobby. I need them all, Ned. It's not Pokemon. You've got to catch them all. All right. All right. Now we're sued. <laughs> Again. 
So we are still going to start with some numbers, and this is all courtesy of Silicon Angle, which is all one word, though Angle is in all caps for reasons? So it's Silicon Angle! <laughs> yes, just like that. Um, they did the work for me of compiling results and comparing them. They also introduced the questionable term supercloud. More on that later. I'm immediately upset. So my gratuity is somewhat muted towards them. So you're not giving them a tip? Uh, no, there's no tip for the Uber driver at SiliconANGLE. <laughs> the prevailing thought was that cloud would continue to grow, but that growth would be somewhat slower than what we saw in 2020 and 2021. Fair. The, the pandemic, you know, that thing I've that happened. It. I heard it was a bad time. Bad time all around. Uh, it was a major driver of growth for cloud services, especially as remote work became the new normal. And businesses, they discovered they desperately needed to digitally transform. <laughs> Still hate the term. Every I enjoy watching the pain just wash over your face. <laughs> you know, every time I use it, another Gartner analyst gets his wings. So they had to digitally transform due to the lack of in-person clientele. If you didn't have a way to interact with a business online, you were kind of dead in the water as a business. Right. But with widespread vac vaccinations rolling out, people emerging from their quarantine, and some workers actually returning to the office, the thought was cloud growth might slow. There's also a guarantee at some point that we're going to hit saturation. So regardless of pandemic, regardless of economic situations, mm -hmm. we're going to hit a limit. There is an upper it's limit. It's going to happen. You would think. Oh, dear. But just like bandwidth, more is always better. I see you're on the networking team. <laughs> oh, well, it's, uh, I don't want to get into deep philosophical discussions, but if you're familiar with Jevons' paradox as applied to freeways. Have you ever really looked at your cloud, man? Yeah. So the more capacity you have, the more people will use. The more traffic fills it, yes. Yes. Uh, that seems to be the case for cloud providers, as we'll see. So let's start with AWS. They reported 37% year-over-year growth, going from $45.4 billion in 2020 to $62.3 billion in 2021. That's so many billions. That is a staggering amount of growth, especially for an already impressive run rate. Are we talking revenue? Profit? This is revenue. Okay. So this is top line revenue. This is not net profit. We'll get to that in a little bit. So how did Q1 of 2022 stack up? Well, they're continuing on the growth trend, hitting 35% year-over-year growth for $18.4 in revenue for the quarter. Neither a significant drop or increase in growth for the beginning of their year, but that does put them on pace for an $80 billion run rate for the year. Let that sink in. Now, it's not all sunshine and rainbows for Amazon because while the AWS portion of the company had a great quarter, other business units, they didn't fare quite so well. We've got rising inflation, higher wages, not high enough, but higher, and higher freight costs, you know, because of fuel and right. all that jazz. And in addition, a particularly bad investment in Rivian that caused a net loss for the company of $3.8 billion. 
And this one upsets me personally because if this had taken off, it would have immediately launched itself to the top of the coolest names of AWS products. But Rib- it's not it's not an AWS product. And you know what I mean. I know. They're all the same thing. Rivian is a good name. Right. Let's focus on that. Okay. <laughs> and maybe someday they'll pull out a real product that people can buy and will like. I thought they would just name things. Oh, well, they could do that too. Now, I'm sure Andy and Jeff are really feeling that loss. And by feeling, I mean the same way a rhinoceros feels the death of an amoeba. They got lots of money is what I'm saying. Right. Okay. Yeah, 3.8 versus 80. Then you remember you're talking about billions. And then that's you a remember subset. Yes. <laughs> then you remember their compensation and how much they're holding in stock. They're doing all right. Guess what I'm saying. Moving over to Microsoft. Azure posted revenue of 26.3 billion for 2020 and 38.5 billion in 2021, which is a year-over-year growth of 46%. How did they fare in Q1 of 2022? 48% year-over-year growth for $13.1 billion in revenue. While it's hard to recapture the 60% plus growth numbers in early 2020, wow, the law of large numbers comes for us all, they still held steady from 2021. So, not accelerating growth, but not diminishing either. What about Goog hanging in at the number three spot? Again, the story is one of growth trends. In 2021, they grew 54% to $8.8 billion versus $5.7 billion in 2020. In Q1 of 2022, we're looking at $2.9 billion with 48% year-over-year. That's a significant slowing of growth for GCP, making them the outlier of the three. I'll note, this is the same as Azure in percentages of growth, but a large difference in actual revenue. Still, GCP continues to chug along, secure in there... Uh, Wait, whoa, no, they're not number three. They're in fourth place. Oh, no, we're going to have to do that thing where <laughs> there's, it's not the, the, the earth is not America. I, it's shocking. And I want everyone to brace themselves. It I, turns out. I was not told that geography was part of the exam. Not only is there the United States and Europe, there's like other countries and continents. Is that where the penguins are? (laughs) No, they're in Pittsburgh, okay? Our America First perspective has blinded us once again to the larger global market. Alibaba, not so much a presence in the U.S., but extremely popular in Africa and parts of Asia, did $10.6 billion in 2021 at a growth rate of 31% and racked up $2.7 billion in revenue in Q1 of 2022 for 26% growth. Seems like they saw the same slowing as GCP, which makes me wonder if folks are choosing to stick with the big two for new projects. It's hard to tell without a state-of-the-cloud report to guide us. That would be foreshadowing people, but I got lazy. So it's super foreshadowing. Yes, that might be next week. (laughs) Let's play a game called We'll Get to It Eventually. That's right. Okay, so that means that GCP is technically in fourth place. Although, if you compare their growth numbers, it seems to indicate that they will be standing on the bronze podium shortly. Will they ever reach silver? Unlikely. And I don't want to, like, they'll always be a force in the cloud for the foreseeable future. Sure. Talk to folks at GCP. They have signed 10 and 15 year contracts with major corporations and government institutions. They can't just 
shut it down. Right. But it's also important that they continue to invest in the platform. And, hey, great segue. That's what we're going to talk about next. Smooth. Ah, that's like, like Skippy Chunky. Wait. Anyway, moving on. Uh, so that was a lot of numbers I threw at you. But what does it all mean? It means that despite the cloud getting increasingly larger every year, there appears to be plenty of headroom left in the market for growth. It also means that the big four continue to grow at a frightening pace. And if you dig into their CapEx numbers, you can see what it takes to sustain that level of growth. So Charles Fitzgerald has, has published a snarky and deeply enjoyable read over on his Platformnomics blog, about capital expenditures of the big cloud companies in 2021. You should really read the whole thing, TM. But let me break it down for you here. His central premise is that hyperclouds need to dump billions into CapEx to keep up with their massive growth and future potential. Remember, buying stuff, CapEx, is saying that I'm going to need that capacity in the future. Right. So you're projecting out growth. AWS can't just sit back on its haunches and let the money roll in with their existing data center infrastructure. Despite the clouds having what seems like infinite capacity, I can assure you that it is in fact limited, as some folks in the EU discovered during the early days of the pandemic. Right, and this is important too in terms of the capital expenditures that are not going to directly translate into top-line growth. AWS's support of their features and their capacity varies enormously from region to region. Sure does. They don't want you to know that. <laughs> they don't publish that necessarily. What they talk about is usually U.S. East 1. The golden child, yes. But all regions are not that. No. So is that kind of what you're aiming at? Well, I mean, that's certainly true. And so they're continuing to develop out their lesser known regions. Like U.S. East 2? That poor, doesn't, that's not a thing. Poor Ohio. Oh. What did they do to deserve this? They know what they did. Ohio. They did the Cleveland Browns. They know exactly what they did mm -hmm. to deserve this. They have Akron. I apologize for answering so. my own questions. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh. So, yeah, in the early days of the pandemic, uh, people were trying to spin up a lot of machines in Azure. And they ran out of capacity. And you can bet your sweet bippy that was kind of embarrassing for the folks over in Redmond. And so they are making every effort to ensure that never happens again. So much so that combined, Amazon, Microsoft, and Google spent over $124 billion in CapEx last year, up 28% over 2020. Now, granted, that's not all on cloud data centers, but you can bet that a decent amount of it is. Right. Mm-hmm. CapEx, like I said, it's spending as a bet on the future. But it's also useful to map out CapEx as a function of revenue today. And in that regard, Amazon and Microsoft are at about 15% of CapEx over revenue. So whatever they're making in revenue this year, they're going to spend 15% of that on building more capacity. Google is at 10 for last year, but they have this weird four-year CapEx cycle. So 2022, they're going to spend a ton more well more than 10% and probably closer to 20 and then it'll drop back down for a few years so when you say that they have that as, as a capex cycle they're just going to do this one giant blast and then go back to 10 for yes. the next 3 years that has been their established pattern yeah okay 
So that is what it takes to be a hyperscaler cloud. You have to spend tens of billions of dollars in CapEx every year just to keep up with demand and growth. <laughs> I really enjoyed this. As a hilarious aside, in 2021, Oracle spent $3.8 billion on their cloud services, and IBM spent $2.2. If I can paraphrase the good Jay-Z, I spend in an hour what you spend in a year, said AWS to IBM. Which I would love to see the math and see how close that actually is. <laughs> it probably wouldn't be that far off. It is preposterous how little Oracle and IBM and some of the other big clouds are dumping into their CapEx to continue growing. Right. Well, on Oracle's side, I can make, I can understand it at least a little bit. And the reason I say that is their cloud is based on supporting their database running in their cloud. To uh, a large extent. I don't know what IBM is doing. IBM doesn't know what <laughs> IBM is doing. I guarantee some executive VP making you know nine figures at some meeting looked down at his notes, looked at the rest of the uh, people in the room and went, we have a cloud? <laughs> That's a thing that happened. I guarantee it. I worked on a couple projects with IBM after the Red Hat acquisition. And the folks on the IBM side had to use their IBM cloud for their own like personal projects and applications. Right. And without saying it, it was clear they were nonplussed about it. And when it came time to actually do some benchmarking, none of it ran in the IBM cloud. <laughs> All of it was running in Azure, AWS, and on bare metal in Equinix. Right. Because that's what people use. So if you want a legitimate benchmark, that's what you're going to do. <laughs> oh. So I just thought that was cute. It uh, is. Yeah. Again, this was all based off of a post from Charles Fitzgerald. So check out the link and enjoy his snark. It is quite delicious. In summary, the major cloud providers continue to spend money at a frightening pace that would make the DoD blush. And their combined revenues make them the 19th largest economy in the world. That is both staggering and a little terrifying. It also lends credence to the idea of a public cloud. Not, not like a public cloud like provider, but like P public cloud. an actual public cloud. But that, well, that's a topic for another day. Now... Since we have some time, or I'm going to decide we have time, <laughs> I did want to return briefly to the super cloud idea as floated by Silicon Angle. They've been a little cagey with the definition of exactly what a super cloud is, but I think they're trying to describe SaaS that runs across multiple clouds and forms a platform for others to build on. So here's an attempt at a definition from them that I found in one of their reports. Quote, SuperCloud describes an architecture that taps the underlying services and primitives of hyperscale clouds to deliver additional value above and beyond what's available from public cloud providers. A SuperCloud delivers capabilities through software consumed as services and can run on a single hyperscale cloud or span multiple clouds. This is it. We're done. <laughs> We're done. Society's over. <laughs> is anybody still awake? So, um... It's SaaS. Yeah, sure is. What they have described is software as a service running on the public cloud. 
think sometimes we call that multi-cloud. If, if the SaaS platform happens to use more than one cloud, yeah. We talked about this like two weeks ago. So let me attempt a different definition. Okay. Super cloud. Noun. A term the CEO's nephew came up with at 3 <laughs> o'clock in the morning that we've all been forced to turn into a business idea. <laughs> Listen, it's SaaS. There's no need for a special word because we already have a perfectly good one. What is it? SaaS. Oh. I know the world of tech loves creating new terms for stuff, but this is frankly ridiculous. Preposterous. Other words. Abstemious. We, wait, wait, we already had two good words. <laughs> See, that's all we need, people. We are part of the problem, Chris. I get that a lot. <laughs> so I think there is a nugget of something here that makes for a compelling conversation. If you take away the, the inflated terminology, what, what you're getting is... Um, well, at its core, the public clouds have enough common services within their IaaS offerings that you could conceivably build the same application to run across all three providers with only minor alterations. Would I call that easy? No. No. Goodness, no. But it's possible. And if you add managed Kubernetes services into the mix, the differences between the public cloud providers shrinks even more. So you could, you could make an argument that the offerings of the public cloud providers will become so commoditized that they will cease to be relevant to the conversation. They will become a de facto commodity or utility and will see a race to the bottom for pricing. Lord knows that's what Kubernetes says. You could make that argument. You'd be wrong, but you could try. Uh, in reality, we have incredibly successful companies pulling in billions of dollars in revenue and providing both common and differentiated services on their platforms, helping companies build SaaS platforms consumed by others. So as far as I can tell, this super cloud terminology is not only meaningless, it's actually less than useless, possibly active, actively harmful and malicious. It's certainly given me a headache. So I have forthwith banished it from my thesaurus, and I recommend that you do the same. Like right now? Yep. We are, we are going to hold the banishment trial right after the recording. I will be presiding. I brought my gavel and wig. Well, you're wearing the wig, and it's all making me uncomfortable. It's a different wig. Oh. There's more purple. <laughs> should we lightning round? We definitely should. Okay. Slow-moving botnet uses IoT and time to hack companies. It's super successful. Woo! Forget ransomware. Forget smash and grab exfiltration. Forget SolarWinds. No, but seriously, forget about that last one. You should definitely lose their number. The latest successful hacking group to make some headlines is not some boring script kitty stuff. The hacking group is being dubbed UNC3524. And the very fact that they had to be assigned a name should tell you how stealthy they've been. Hmm. They have been executing an APT, or Advanced Persistent Threat, for nigh upon 18 months. Wow. Ars Technica's frankly fawning breakdown of the situation describes the UNC botnet as, quote, among the most interesting in recent history. And the praise for cleverness goes on from there. I mean, seriously, I think at this point, ours is hoping UNC invites them to the prom. They could be king and queen. 
The botnet works using a custom VPN client, a very intricate and redundant set of tunnels, and our good friends, IoT devices, load mm -hmm. balancers, and WAPs, which I, I know I should say the actual word, but I enjoy saying WAP, that don't support any kind of antivirus. The botnet gets in, gets comfortable, and just goes ahead and steals some emails for corporate espionage and financial transaction data for as long as they can. It utilizes standard Windows protocols, surprise, surprise, further hampering standard detection techniques. 18 months of this, people. 18 months. Megan the Stallion could not be reached for comment. Celebrate National Password Day by ending it. Despite knowing for years that passwords are terrible, they persist. Part of that is simplicity. Writing a new application that needs authentication, username and password is really easy. Next is familiarity. Logging on to a new application, well, I guess it's time to set up a username and password. It's what I do at work and home. We've been well-trained by our IT team to create complex passwords and store them securely on a post-it hidden under our mouse pad. See, you thought it would be under the keyboard, but you were wrong, Mustafa. Try again, sucker. Set my desktop to a screenshot of my desktop, will you? Just wait, my friend. Just wait. Anyway, uh, passwords are easy and familiar. And I think we all know that aside from those InfoSec freaks... Nerd! Most people will take easy and familiar over complex and secure any day of the week. The challenge then is to create something easy and familiar for people to use in place of a password. It also needs to be easy to set up for the developer and the end user. It needs to be simple to use, and it has to be common across applications. Enter the FIDO Alliance, a.k.a. Fast Identity Online, you won't believe how hard it is to find out what the acronym actually stands for. It's nowhere on their actual site. I assumed it was a dog walking company. Yeah. A consortium of industry titans, including Apple, Microsoft, and Google, who are all working to implement passwordless login with the FIDO v2 spec. So the important thing is the agreement across all of these giant companies to support a single non-proprietary spec to get rid of the password. Instead of using a password manager, you'll be able to use an authentication app on your phone or tablet to validate your identity when you attempt to log on to an app on your computer or vice versa. It uses Bluetooth to determine that you are actually near the device that you're trying to log on to. So gets rid of the proximity issue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Microsoft has already committed to supporting FIDO login with their latest update of Microsoft 365, which covers both Office 365 and Windows, and Azure Virtual Desktop, and Apple and Google will be supporting it with their mobile operating systems and hardware. Now, it's still going to be years before the password is banished for good, but for regular consumers, that day may be coming soon. SMTP. Insecurist of the insecure internet protocols <laughs> has another bad day. I was never meant for any of this. I wanted to be a lumberjack. And that's okay. From the, this is an evolving story, and does anybody really know how anything works anyway department? No. 
email forwarding and other stuff to company, SMTP to go is dealing with a significant problem. SMTP was invented back when the internet was like six people. As such, it basically has no security at all. Telnet levels of security. Seriously, 50 years ago. Yeah. I had to look it up 50 years ago. (laughs) SPF and DKIM are security features that are super helpful in combating this issue. However... An issue highlighted privately in January and publicly this week shows that even this can have limitations. In short, if you're using SMTP to go just for scanning your incoming email, no problem. However, if you're using certain deprecated, important word, SMTP to go, SPF, and DKIM configs in your domain, then any SMTP to go customer can send emails as if they were from your account. This is especially problematic for customers of third-party services such as ConnectWise. This issue is a definite problem, but it is also definitely avoidable. These configs should never have been used in this manner and certainly not as a default by anybody. So it's difficult to classify the incident as a hack. However, it can be a problem for companies if they get compromised in this way and their email domain is used for spam, for phishing, etc., etc. Long story short, don't use the defaults <laughs> at any time ever. Yes. And don't use deprecated configurations. Hmm. How about that? SMTP to go has addressed the issue, stating that, again, as long as your configuration passes DMARC, which is yet another security feature that had to be layered on top. This one, DMARC, is used to tell email servers to reject misaligned SPF and DKIM records. So the entire issue is about configuration. And if you're ending this lightning round item feeling vaguely concussed and slightly annoyed, congratulations. (laughs) You can now put SMTP security down as a skill on your resume. Whoa. Samsung sees VMware SD card confusion, ups the ante. Cool. One of the main issues with SD cards is that they wear out relatively fast. As we covered last week regarding VMware's guidance on using SD cards as a boot device, sustained writes to an SD card is the best way to wear out the medium. Combined with a lack of error checking and you quickly have corrupt data or unreadable sections of the device and that's bad. I just checked with Mustafa, now that my desktop is usable again, and that is, in fact, bad. Uh, Ned, your profile picture is a penis. Ah, damn it. Mustafa! (laughs) Samsung has decided to attempt to rectify the situation and further muddy the waters of VMware's SD card support by creating the new Pro Endurance line of memory cards, which can sustain 16 years of continual writes at 3.25 megabytes per second on the 256 gig model. Smaller capacities will have half the lifetime at that data rate, owing to the fact that they are half the size. But overall, that is an impressive lifetime for a simple SD card. The cards are also rated for 10,000 insertions to devices, resistance to water and extreme temperatures, and x-rays. 
I personally picked up two of the 256 gig cards for 55 bucks a piece, which I felt was eminently reasonable. I plan to use these in my recording devices so I don't have to worry about losing out on the mellifluous and dulcet tones to the unforgiving card reaper. So you're saying that you bought these cards so that you don't fear the reaper. That's right. Get out. <laughs> More cowbell. <laughs> Facebook's international greed really does put the earth in scum of the earth. <laughs> because they're greedy and awful on every continent, you see. Get it? Well done. A new report out of Australia shows that Facebook intentionally crippled communication services and caused mass chaos via a coordinated disablement of services in order to influence a parliamentary vote. Oh, I should say, uh, the disablement of services was for emergency services and charities. Well done. The vote was to decide whether Facebook-type leeches, I mean aggregators, should have to pay actual news creators for their content. Facebook disabled their pages in protest. But the accusation states that Facebook did much more than that. They deliberately fumbled the process, causing hospitals, EMS, and charities to be taken down as well. And Facebook timed it specifically to coincide with the parliamentary vote. Internally, Facebook patted themselves on the back for this, quote, masterstroke with Sandberg praising the, quote, thoughtfulness of the strategy and, quote, precision of execution. Your company took out a hit on hospital and emergency services communication just so you could maybe get a law bent in your favor and you pat yourself on the back for it, you goddamn digital terrorist. The mind simply reels. Oh, just when you think they can't get worse... They find a way. I, you know, it's really true what Jeff Goldblum says. Life finds a way. Now who's getting out? <laughs> Hate running Citrix? Let the clouds do it for you. I recall full well when Citrix Cloud first launched back in 2015, the world was full of promise. I was still gainfully employed as a productive member of society, and the weekend was having difficulty with nerve stimulation in and around the face. Little did I know what awaited me in the months to come when I would assist in setting up a product that was overhyped, oversold, and vastly unprepared. And the swag was just embarrassing. Mm. Nice bag. <laughs> there are few projects in my consulting past that can still evoke such a visceral feeling of helplessness and frustration. But my experience with designing and deploying Citrix Cloud with global load balancing is definitely among them. This is all compounded by the fact that I've always found VDI, and Citrix in particular, to be black magic and mysticism, an occult practice followed by few and understood by less. Where the boot time of your session host, the proper placement of end users, and managing user profiles required a blood sacrifice on a full moon to ensure a bountiful harvest. Woe be to the VDI engineer who enjoins the rights. May a bootstorm destroy them and leave throttled CPUs in its wake. Amen. Shit. What was I saying? Uh, um, yeah, so Citrix now offers desktop as a service on Google Cloud and Microsoft Azure. Guess that's more of all, some of that old super cloud, eh? Huh? Huh? Citrix cleans... 
Citrix claims this fully formed and 100% ready solution will save you money and time. Color me less than convinced. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, and I'll zenap you to the moon. Uh, To the moon. Oh, hey, thanks for listening or something. I guess you found it worthwhile enough if you made it all the way to the end, so congratulations to you, friend. You accomplished something today. Now you can lie down on the floor, open your third eye, and peer into the blackness of the abyss. Or read some James Patterson. Same difference. You can find me or Chris on Twitter at Ned1313 and Hainer80 respectively, or follow the show at KS underscore Lever if that's the kind of thing you're into. Show notes are available at chaoslever.com if you like reading things, which you shouldn't. Podcast reigns supreme in a sunbeam with Mr. Clean. You dig? We'll be back next week to see what fresh hell is upon us. Ta-ta for now. 90%.